Welcome back to the Live AD 33 podcast, where we want to live in view of the cross of Christ, give current events eternal perspective. I'm your host, George Hellowa. Today on the podcast, I'm going to be sharing a message that I taught with the group I lead, and uh, it's about, it's from the book of Jude. When's the last time you dove into the book of Jude? You know, it might feel a lot based on the news and social media that the, the church is under attack. And in some ways it is, more so maybe than ever before. But throughout its history, you know, the church has faced numerous obstacles and enemies, and none have been more dangerous or more insidious than the attacks that have come from within its own walls, from false prophets, false teachers, people who distract and who destroy God's church and God's truth. You know, Jude was very aware of this threat, and he dedicated his letter to addressing it. You know, we don't hear about Jude too often. We don't hear from Jude too often. But this little book carries a big punch. So today, we're looking at the first four verses of Jude. It's part of a series we're going to call Contend. Check it out. At the end of last year, I talked about asking you guys some of the things that you wanted to hear from, hear from the Word, things you wanted to talk about, subjects. One of the things that came up was the desire to maybe dig into some books, talking about some some books of the Bible. And so I was like, what can we teach through that's going to be good and, and, and kind of relevant and talk about? And so there's a lot of books in the Bible that if we go through are kind of almost like flyover books. You know, we know they're in the Bible, but we don't spend a lot of time in them. Uh, maybe we don't read them a lot. We don't quote them. We don't talk about too much. And in fact, the four shortest books of the Bible are actually not preached on a whole lot. And that's going to be second and third John, the book of Philemon. And coming in fourth, uh, shortest verses in the Bible is the 25 verses is the book of Jude, okay? It's the book of Jude. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to start to talk about this series. And so uh, these books are in the Bible for a reason, and Jude may be small, but it definitely, definitely packs a punch. And my guess is for most people, Jude is the book, just, it's the book before Revelation, right? You're on your way to Revelation, read something interesting. It's kind of tucked in there after uh, the John's epistles and Peter's epistles, but what Jude tells us about the dangers facing the church cannot be ignored. And so we're going to take some time to really dig into the big message that's in this short book. If you've got your Bibles, which I hope you do, turn to the book of Jude, because it's right there. It's one page. And if you're not sure where it is, find the book of Revelation and then go back one page. That'll be Jude, okay? So I'm going to start with the first four verses. We're going to do the first four verses of Jude today, and we're going to, we're going to kind of dig in. And uh, while you're looking for that, let me pray. And uh, we'll do that. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for that no word is wasted in your Bible. And as we look at the book of Jude, I pray it would encourage us, challenge us. And Lord, uh, guide me and lead me as we speak today by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Jude. So I decided to call this series Contend, and you'll see why in just a second. I know you're all thinking, hey, Jude, right now, so just get it out of your heads. So... I was gonna. I know it's in your head. I was. Yeah, I had to. I had. That's what I was gonna call him. Like I can't do that. All right. First four verses. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you, beloved. Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. That was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people, 
who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and our Lord, Jesus Christ. So we're going to go through. And I got your notes. I know you love it when I keep notes and, 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 and things like that. So here we go. Ready? Let's talk about the book of Jude. And the first thing we're talking about is the letter's author. Who wrote this letter? Okay. He says, verse 1, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. So it's generally accepted that the author of this book, Jude, is in fact the half-brother of Jesus. Okay? Mary and Joseph are his uh, actual biological parents. And he is also the brother of James, as in the book of James. Okay? Uh, and, and besides James and Jude, we know that Jesus had other brothers who were named in the Bible, Joseph and Simon, uh, as well as having some other unnamed sisters. And so Jesus himself, he said this in, in, in John 7, 5. He said, a, a prophet is without honor in his own home. I'm sorry, the Bible says a prophet is without honor in his own home. And John 7, 5 reports this, that, quote, not even his brothers believed in him, right? Not even his brothers believed in him. And that's a lot of pressure. If you had an older brother who walked around claiming to be the Messiah, maybe some of your older siblings have walked around and claimed to be Messiah. I don't know how your, you know how older brothers can be. But, uh, Maybe you are. So, but let's think about this. Such was the power of the resurrection, right, that Jude now refers to his older brother, his eldest brother, as, quote, our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's widely understood that after Jesus, that Jesus' family accepted his divinity, accepted his messiahship after his resurrection. So Jude is his half-brother. And there's not a lot of debate. There's not a lot of debate about the authorship of the book. If you look at some scholars and things like that, there's no evidence to suggest that it's anyone other than Jude that, it, that we're talking about. Um, a lot of scholars think that this was written after the book of 2 Peter, probably around 68 or 70 A.D., so it's early in the church's life. It even includes a quote. It even includes a quote from 2 Peter, which indicates that even though, I love this, he says that as the apostles said, that even though Jude was related to Jesus, that he was submitting to the authority of the apostles' teaching. That's, that's pretty interesting. So here's Jude. He's the half-brother of Jesus. He is uh, quoting Peter. It's early in the church's life. And identifying himself as the brother of James, you know, Jude isn't necessarily claiming any authority for himself, okay? But chances are people will pay a little more attention, right, to this book uh, because his brother is the pastor of the city of Jerusalem. And so Jude is also probably very familiar with the other apostles, probably knew Peter and John, and he was right in the middle of the young church. So this is the book of Jude, written by Jesus' brother, is writing this book, these 25 verses. So that's the letter's author. Here's the letter's audience. Who is he writing to? All right. So a lot of these letters are written to specific people in the specific churches, right? And Paul wrote to Titus, he wrote to Timothy, but he also wrote to the, the churches in Rome and the churches in Galatia and Ephesus. And Jude's letter is written, quote, to those who are called, beloved in the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. So his audience is most likely first century Jews, Jewish believers. But this letter, this letter could just as well have been written to the modern church, right? Both in its uh, address and in its, in its content. Because as believers, okay, in the church, you and I, we are, we are called, we are beloved, and we are kept. So I can confidently say that as we read this book, uh, it is every bit as much for us as it was for the, for the early church. And the third thing we come across is uh, the letter's attitude. All right? I love what he says here. He says, verse 2, he says, May mercy, peace, and love 
be multiplied to you. So this is a pretty common greeting of the day, writing a letter like this, but I think this, is, this demonstrates Jude's um, motivation going into this letter, because as we're about to see, he's about to unload on them, <laughs> okay? Jude is not an easy letter to read. It's not like a kind, you know, filled with, you know, you look at 1 John, he's talking about God's love, and this is a little harsher. He's about to unload with them with some de- deal with some serious issues, but he's, not, he, but he's not coming in hot. He's not approaching in anger, but he earnestly is desiring that mercy, peace, and love be in their lives, because if the church doesn't address what Jude is about to talk about, then they're going to end up with intolerance, discord, and animosity. So that's the letter's attitude. So we've got the letter's author, we've got the letter's audience, we've got the letter's attitude. And this is when we kind of dive into what this letter, the letter of Jude, is all about. And we're going to talk about, ready, the letter's appeal. Okay? The letter's appeal. And Jude 3 is a very common verse. It's the apologetics verse, as people say sometimes. Beloved, Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So here Jude reveals why he's writing. You know, he's, he's contrasting the letter he wanted to write, okay, versus the letter he had to write. He says, I wanted to write to you a letter about our common salvation. Like, this should be a letter about joy. This should be a letter about, uh, 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 of excitement. This should be about fellowship and encouragement, about the gospel that as believers of Jesus Christ that all of us are supposed to embrace with unity and joy. But instead, the letter he needed to write was a call for the church, he says, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And so what Jude is saying is that here's this letter. He's asking here that the believers stand up and fight for the truth of the gospel, which is what? The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Truth that is being undermined and having eternal consequences for those who are being drawn away by a false gospel. And so he is writing this letter saying, look, I wanted to just have a, I just wanted this to be a feel-good letter. But we've got to deal with some stuff, right? And whenever write a, have to write a letter about that, or gotten a letter like that, hey, I wanted to, I wanted to give you good news, but we've got, we got to talk about some stuff, right? And that's what he's doing. And so, Jude's letter was written about 35 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right, Think about this. In that time, the church has been expanding and growing at an exponential rate. Uh, some of the original apostles are still alive at this point. Okay, uh, This is still a first generation of believers. There are people who can give first-hand accounts of what happened. They're still alive. There are people who actually heard Jesus speak, are still testifying. All right, This is fresh. But in the midst of all this growth, when the message of the church should be unequivocally clear when, when the teaching of the church is still resonating from the voices of the original apostles, there's still some growing pains in the church at this time. And already the truth of the gospel is being assaulted and it's being twisted. So instead of a letter of celebration, Jude is writing a letter of, of, of consternation. He's, being, he's concerned. He's worried. He's like, things aren't the way they need to be. And we're going to talk about what is he concerned about. And I want you to think about this. Um, if anyone's ever been part of something that's begun and maybe it evolves and it, it, it ends up not looking like you wanted it to at the end, does anyone ever have that happen? You start something and here's, here's the great idea and then by the time you get through it, all of a sudden it looks completely different than what you ever intended. This is what's happening with the church, early on in the church. Here's the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
this is it, this is what we're going to do, and then all of a sudden it feels like things are getting pulled off course. And so that's where his concern comes by. And what is he concerned about? Well, he's concerned about the letter's antagonists. Okay? And here's what he said, the letter's antagonists. And he said, for certain people, verse 4, have crept in unnoticed. So Judah's identifying a threat to the church. And unlike the current threats, of the, uh, the, 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 the contemporary threats of the time uh, from outside the church, right, the religious zealots of the Jews who were trying to literally kill the church, and the persecution of the Roman Empire, this danger is in the church. All right? This danger is coming from inside the church. And do you, do you recognize in the 2,000-year history of the church that there has never been an organization, a movement, or a government that could snuff out Christianity? Okay? Uh, the Jews, of course, attempted it in the first century. Uh, the Roman Empire attempted it. Communist governments have attempted it. And after 2,000 years, the church is still alive, despite being the most persecuted people group in the world. Are you aware of that? The Christians are persecuted at a higher rate than any other people group in the world at this time. If anything, external persecutions have actually furthered the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and it caused one of the early church fathers, a guy named Tertullian, to say this, that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. So the more you squeeze the church from the outside, the bigger it gets and the more it grows. In fact, one of the best things that happened to the church was uh, the, the persecution that fell upon the church and everyone in, 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 in Acts chapter 7. So everyone left. And when they left, they took the gospel with them, and the gospel was being spread to the world. See, Christianity's real enemy has never been the outside oppressors, but it's been the wolves in sheep's clothing that infiltrate the flock of God and one by one pick off the weak, undermining the integrity of the church like termites in an old house. Okay? Jesus said in Matthew 7.15, he said this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves... Okay, And what does he say? You will recognize them by their fruits. Paul reiterates the warning in Acts chapter 20, verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, he says, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So Jude is concerned not because of what's coming on the outside of the church, but what's inside the church. Because less than a generation from the birth of Christ, or from the death of Christ, there are already, uh, and, and the birth of the church, there are already people coming in and teaching, by their behavior in teaching, diluting the truth of the gospel and compromising the integrity of the church. And you'd have to wonder, like, with all this focus on the gospel and all the energy of the young church and the apostles and their work and the spread and the spirit of God working, it's fair to ask, how do these people creep in, Right? How did they creep in? And, and, and the Bible says that they crept in unnoticed. I mean, the obvious answer is, right, it's sin, right? It's, sin's always the bad guy. And sin's the worst, okay? But consider this. Look, the, the, the church has a message, a great message. And it's a message of hope. It's a message of love. It's, acceptance, it's a message of acceptance in Jesus Christ. And it's a message that proclaims that, to what? Come as you are. Come as you are and be transformed by Jesus. But if the church fails to fulfill its purposes of discipleship and discipline, it fosters an environment where people come as they are and never change. Right? And the failure of the church to protect itself through healthy discipleship and discipline means that people have come in demanding that we accept them as they are, 
even when they haven't accepted Christ. Okay? God loves me, why don't you? Well, God loves you, but he wants more from you and more for you. Uh, Paul told Timothy this in 2 Timothy. He said, understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, um, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the, look at this, appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Good advice here. Avoid such people. Okay? But unfortunately, a lot of these people, many of these people have, have, have infiltrated the church of God. And because they don't have regenerate hearts, or worse, they believe they're righteous and holy, uh, they lead each other, they lead weaker believers away with easy believism and incorrect doctrine. And so Paul says that, that these people he describes them in verse 7, he said those are who creep into households, who capture weak women, they are burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. So the greatest danger to the integrity of the church of God is not pressure from the outside, but decay on the inside. And that's what Jude's letter is about. So Jude is talking about his antagonist, and now here is the letter's accusation. He says, Certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago, verse 4, were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and our Lord Jesus Christ. And then, go, so Jude describes, uh, describes these people. First of all, he describes their character. He says they are ungodly, right? The character of these wolves, they are ungodly. That even though they claim to know and speak truthfully of God and of Jesus and of Scripture, their sinful character actually undermines their claims. They're not living lives that reflect uh, God. And so he describes their character and he describes their conduct. They pervert the grace of God. So these wolves in sheep's clothing, what do they do? They use the grace of God as a justification for their sin, believe it or not, because they're believing that God's grace abounds more than their sin, which the Bible teaches that. But Paul clears it up in Romans 6 when he asks this question, what then shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Right? By no means. Okay? How can we who died to sin still live in it? That, ver- that phrase, by no means, is the most powerful. It's roughly translated, heck no, duh. Okay? Would be kind of a way to translate that. And so, all right? But he's asking the question, you know, uh, should we... You know, because God's grace is so big, because God's blood covers all of our sin, is it okay to keep sinning? He's like, no, of course not. That's dumb, <laughs> is essentially what he's saying. So, but these wolves use, they say, well, it's okay because God loves me and God's love covers my sin and so I can keep doing what I do. Um, so that's their character, that's their conduct. And then he describes their creed. They deny our master and our Lord Jesus Christ. Look, Jesus said that if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But the fact is that you cannot claim Jesus is your Lord and Savior if you are disobedient to what he teaches and upholds. All right? You can't say God is my boss and then ignore everything he says, which comes out in the word of God. Paul said this to Titus. He wrote this. He says they, talking about, he says they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works and they are detestable 
they are disobedient and they are unfit from for any good works. You've been listening to part one of the message on Jude 1 through 4. Thanks for taking the time to listen today, and part two will be with us tomorrow. God has called us to contend for the faith, and no matter how you look at it, it means standing firm in what you believe. You know, if you'd like to know more about what you believe and about a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have thoughts, comments, or just want to say hi, make sure to email us at live 8033 at gmail.com. If you liked what you heard today, be sure to subscribe and to share it with your friends. And if you'd like to partner with us and help make the podcast happen, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com live8033, where you can help support this podcast and help us reach others with the Word of God. Our music today is by Lee Rosevear. You can check out his stuff at freemusicarchive.org. My name is George Hellowa. You've been listening to the Live 8033 podcast, where we want to live in view of the cross of Christ and give current events eternal perspective. Be blessed. We'll see you next time.